0: Hey, thanks for listening to the RUF Tulsa podcast. This is Caleb Harlan. Uh, once again, this semester, our students are reading the passage before I get up to preach. And because of that, um, you'll, you'll hear a difference in the audio. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and read the passage that was preached tonight. It's from Galatians 1, verse 11 through Galatians 2, verse 10. Now hear the word of the Lord. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days, But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing you of before God, I do not lie. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to destroy and persecute the faith is now preaching it. And they glorified God because of me. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. It's the reading of God's word. All right, so we are working through the semester, the whole book, verse by verse, uh, through, through Galatians. And we've reached and are knocking out here in one chunk um, the part of the letter that I, I might admit is not as exciting. Um, this is not the section of Galatians with many theological nuggets like we'll see in the rest of this letter. Um, this is the historical account of Paul's life um, and his calling and his his journey and, and mission to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, this is the only letter of his 13 where he gives a historical account in this much detail. And so as I approached this text, um, we asked the question of it of like, why is this in there? And why was it important for us to know this information? And um in your bulletin, I've actually flipped it backwards. I ended up switching out um, the two points. And so I do think it's in there to show us a lot of things, um, but two that I wanna narrow in on is one, point one is the outcome of our authority and point two is the origin of our authority. Um, So the outcome of our authority is the unity that we have as brothers and sisters and the origin of our authority is directly from from God himself. Um, And so those are the two points and what i hope that we see tonight together is that as christians um we have a beautiful unity um that is founded on a reliable authority a god who in his kindness has revealed himself and has revealed his will uh, to us um and so this is what we'll we'll flesh out throughout the night so let's let's go to point 1 the outcome of our authority I remember there was a moment at the end of last semester. Um in every week I really do a, a marvel and, and rejoice um at, at this, but last semester there was a moment where um on the stage at the same time was a rower, a cheerleader, a pre-med, a frat freshman guy, miss like involved in everything at TU, SA Girl, uh and uh a uh, I forget what it's called, uh, a presidential scholar, all all on the same stage, all doing the same thing, that you'll find nowhere else on campus. There's this unity in our worship. There's this unity in our calling as Christians that brings people together that would otherwise never be together. Um, you know, Galatians has, has many coffee cup Bible verses, um, and we'll get to them. Um, For those who were raised in the church, it has many familiar passages. Um, Galatians fleshes out many important doctrines such as law and gospel, identity and idolatry, justification, sanctification, adoption and redemption. Galatians points us in these beautiful passages to the freedom that we have in Christ. In Galatians, we see the gift of the Spirit and the fruit that it bears in our life, love, joy, peace, etc. Galatians offers a lot. But more than anything, um, as we read last night and as we'll look at tonight, what we're going to see is that Galatians wants to emphasize the work of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins in Christ, and how that unites a people facing social and racial and ethnic and religious division. You know, to understand um, the beauty and, and how that works itself out, um, we have to understand and enter ourselves in into the world of first century Judaism. We have to um, meet the Bible where it was intended in, in, in its original audience. Um, you know, the Bible is in our hands and the one that's in our hands, they're not just letters that flew out of the sky and landed the 21st century Americans. Um, what, what I believe and what many in this room believe is that the, the scriptures are the infallible. That means that they are without error, that they are, they are perfect. They're the infallible and that they're the authoritative, meaning that um, the buck stops at God's word. They're infallible and they're authoritative and they're inspired by the spirit of God. To and through fallible, meaning sinful men, written first and foremost to an original audience receiving these words. So in this situation, a, a, a series of churches in a city Galatia in 50 AD. But secondarily, and I would say equally as important, they were written and revealed for us and our benefit and our salvation. But in order to properly grasp God's grace and apply it to our life and world, we have to step back and understand their world. Because the meaning of things changes. For example, circumcision. Um, If you've never been in church and you just heard this word circumcision said like six times you might be like what in the world is happening right now (laughs) why are we talking about a surgical procedure on boys penises that's so strange that's really that's really really strange you have to have context to understand its meaning and then what we do is that we then take that meaning and apply it to our context so we don't you know, if a, if a verse doesn't make sense or doesn't seem to fit in nicely to our context, you enter into its, understand its meaning, and then take its meaning and apply it to our context. So that's what we intend to do. Um, and so I do want to look and spend some time at first century uh, Judaism. Um, you know, the life of the Jew living in Galatia before Jesus' ministry, um, and the life of the Jews that were dispersed and spread around the Roman Empire, um, kind of taught them and they lived in this way which separated themselves from those surrounding them um, in three distinct ways. Their their faith separated them ethnically, and their faith separated them culturally, and their faith separated them religiously. Um, we see all three of these expressions in our passage. So you'll read a word like Gentiles, that's a, racial or ethnic separation from Jew. You read a word like in verse one of the verses in, in, in chapter two, where he says, my brother Titus, he was a Greek. This is pointed out to bring about the distinction culturally, that it was Greek and that it was Jewish culture. And then last, you see the separation religiously. And so why circumcision? Because circumcision was um, one of the very things um, that expressed the religious devoutness, their they're, they're covenantal um, community, they're, they're part of God's people. Um, and so the men and the boys would have circumcision done. And so it's used there to express that the Jews were um, religiously distinct from the, the peers surrounding them. And so um, what, what Paul is doing is he's speaking to um, these people who were not part and not located in Israel, but after the exile of from 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 persia they were kind of dispersed around the area and now there are these these jews who are living in galatia surrounded by greeks and gentiles and uncircumcised folks and paul has come to them on his mission recorded in an acts and then has left and people in that place who were raised jews have now entered in and been like hey everything that he just said is crazy don't believe anything he says and he breaks down because he broke down and he threatened these, these three markers, which were really important for them. Um, so this marker of, 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 of ethnicity, um, this was a serious point of pride. Um, you know, not all Jews were descendants of Israel, um, but most were, you know, there was the Gentile convert. There was the foreigner or the servant. Um, but to be a descendant of Israel was a really big deal for the Jews in Galatia, Um, same with their culture. One of the markers for Jews was their culture, their practices, their devout worship, their observance of the Torah. Um, You know, when Persia was taken out by the Greeks in about mid 400 BC, and then a few hundred years later were taken out by the Romans, by the Romans, um, the Romans kept their culture. And so at the point of this writing, there was universal language. Everyone spoke Greek. Um, and they kept the, the culture of arts and philosophy. So the Greeks provided and produced philosophers like Aristotle and, and, and Plato. And they had this Greek, this beautiful Greek architecture. And there was so much of the culture that, that, um, that, the, that the Romans kept. And the Jews were distinct from them, not entering into that culture, not having a part of any of that culture. Because for the Jews, they had their own culture. They were very distinct from the Greeks. And then the third marker, the third thing that that Paul was threatening was these religious markers. Um, To understand the the 613 laws in the Old Testament Torah, um, you you split these up into three different categories. And so you have the moral category of the law. These are all still very applicable today. Jesus has fulfilled but not abolished the moral law. Um, And and, and in fact, he's he's heightened the law. As he says in the Sermon on the Mount, you heard it said once before, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, any man or woman who looks lustfully in their eyes at at another has committed adultery. So he extends the moral law. And then you have, so that's part one, you have a civil law. These were, because they were a nation state, they were under a theocracy, God was their king. They actually had ways to live about in civilization just like we do now in America. Um, And so it's harder to make application from some of those civil laws in the Old Testament. But then they also had ceremonial laws. And these ceremonial laws were ways that they, Jews, were to keep themselves and make themselves clean. Because to be clean was a really big deal. Um, You couldn't go into worship unless you were clean. Um, You weren't acceptable in God's sight unless you were clean. And so at the time that Paul's writing here into Galatia there are these Jews who are requiring, have come in after him and are requiring all Greeks, all Gentiles, all Jews to keep themselves clean by observing the ceremonial laws of Moses. And so they had to keep the diet, they had to keep the dress, they had to keep the prayers, they had to keep the ceremonies, they had to keep the practices, and most importantly, they had to keep the circumcision. They were the set-apart chosen people of God and, and they, they needed to keep these ceremonial signs, which represented for them an acknowledgement of the holiness of God and the depravity of man. That in our natural state, unless I go out of my way to make myself clean, in my natural state, I am unclean. And so they would do these things to present themselves as pleasing and acceptable in God's sight. They hold, they held these cultural, these, these ethnic, in these religious distinctions at a really high mark. And so for the Jew, the the gospel was that God had promised a people who would be set apart and distinct from their peers in these ways. And if they were to do these things, um, they they would be in a place to receive the blessing of God. And this is what the leaders of the Jews, whether that's the Pharisees or the Judaizers, and other Jewish leaders, they'd meet together in a, in a council or a meeting of these other men, and they would get together, what do we think about so-and-so doctrine? And they would communicate it to the people, the authority, the buck, stopped at the collaboration of these men. And so in this letter, um, and as we'll read throughout the semester, Paul comes in hot and heavy and disrupts and challenges What some people, as he says in chapter 1, verse 7, what some people who have wanted to distort the gospel of Christ, he comes hot and heavy and challenges what they've claimed to be gospel truth. His message ran contrary to those false teachers. His gospel said that Jesus as Messiah changes everything about you culturally, ethnically, and religiously. He'll go on to say in Galatians 3.27, for as many of you are as baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ, and now there is neither Jew nor Greek. He's saying, hey, you Greeks who have put your faith in Jesus, don't listen to those men. You are in Christ, and you are therefore the same as your Jewish brothers and sisters. And he's saying to the Jews, hey, you Jews who are in Christ, don't look at your Greek brother with judgment don't consider yourself better with pride and arrogance there's no cultural distinction there's no ethnic distinction he goes on to the next verse in galatians 3 and we'll spend more time here as we get here to say there's no ethnic distinction that if you are christ's then you are abraham's offspring you're heirs to the promise it's very provocative He's saying, in other words, hey, you Jews and Gentiles and Greeks, all of you, if you have faith in Christ, you are now Abraham's offspring. You are Israel. And then we see this religious distinction broken down all throughout the letter. Um, Connor, actually, next week is going to speak, and he's going to highlight more of this. But all throughout his letter, he's saying, we are not justified. Um, It's a song that we just, a word that we just sang. Um, i that, in that one of those previous songs that we are not justified, meaning we're not made at peace with God. We're not made acceptable in our worship. We're not justified through our observance of the law, through our diet, through our wear, through our, um, through our circumcision, through our works of the law. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves clean and acceptable in God's sight. There's nothing you can do your good works, your good deeds, there's nothing you can do to make yourself at peace with God, but we are justified by faith in the work of Christ. We see this all throughout the letter, Paul breaking down this religious division and distinction. And at the end of the letter in chapter six, I think most clearly we see there's neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but only a new creation. In other words, our baptism into Christ by the Holy Spirit is what unites and is what matters. And so for all who walk by this rule, meaning this rule of faith, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. Greek, Gentile, Jew, you are the Israel of God. All cultural, all ethnic, all religious divisions are broken down. The gospel is unifying. And for the first century Jew, Paul's gospel breaks down everything that they thought they knew, everything that they found their identity and their meaning in, he stripped it away. Um, the gospel birthed a unity that wasn't there. It challenged their every thought. And so of course the question became for these people, why should I listen to this man? And I think in a moment of honesty, um, I think I hear us asking that same question: Why should I listen to this man? You know, maybe I'm good on unity, um, that's a value of this campus, that's a value of this nation. But why should I listen to this man? Um, His writings challenge, you know, most of what I think about life, culture, religion, my ethnicity, my body, my gender, my purpose. Why should I listen to him? Um, You know, we we think this book written 2,000 years ago to people very different than us would have nothing to say to us. But actually, when we understand the, 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 the context of the first century Jews we understand that they're asking the same exact question that we're asking. They see that, okay, this gospel, it's gonna provide and bring this unity because we're all one in Christ. But for us, it also brings a lot of things and it calls a lot of questions. So why should I listen to this man? Um, Which brings me to the second point, um, the origin. So that's the outcome of our authority. So what's the origin of our authority? Um, I want you to think about this, this scenario with me, um, you know, being a parent is, is part of my process of, of spiritual growth. Um, you know, like there becomes this moment where a human pops out of my wife and, um, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like we have to leave this hospital. and We have to like take care of this thing, like keep it alive. And there, I remember leaving the hospital and they gave us this little like syringe thing and, they're like, hey, by the way, your baby might like cough in the middle of the night and they will choke on its spit and might die. So here's this little syringe. It's like, what? <laughs> um, so for the first few few uh, months, you're really just like, I got to keep this thing alive. Um, I'm really utterly unprepared for this and I have to do this with no sleep. Um, sounds sounds like fun. But then it gets to this point where we actually have to like love them um, Actively sacrifice yourself for the sake of the other. You have to discipline them. You have to teach them. Um, and we're now at this age where, like, they they push up against just about every effort you do to, to you make to do that with tears and screaming and kicking. And this is a really hard part of life. Um, but they understand that I am in their authority. Um they understand that that uh you know because I've been with them their whole life and have cared for them and provided for them, I've been there in their time of need and comforted them. Um that that yeah, they might be pushing up to me, but they actually need me and Maggie to be their authority. Um and when they feel like they're actually in charge, they actually kind of can freak them out. So we're their authority and they understand that. Um, we have to discipline, we have to teach them. Right now we're we're we do that through rewarding good behavior and um, there being consequences for poor behavior um, okay so now sometimes we leave we go on a date we go hang out with friends and a few of you you come and babysit um, and the babysitter comes over and in there in this weird moment there's like this this like passing of power and where I we give the power and the authority to discipline our kids to the babysitter and if our kids misbehave the babysitter communicates that they're going to have a series of consequences the next day that we're going to do. Um, and that if they listen, that there's going to be rewards. So because our family loves sugar, the reward is we're going to go get a donut and the consequence is you're going to lose your dessert for the whole day. Um, and so the, 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 um, the babysitter in this situation is speaking on behalf of us and the authority that we've given to her. And the instruction that that she's giving to our kids is not actually her instruction, but it's our instruction that we've told her how to handle particular situations and what to say. In fact, we've called her to come into our house to watch our kids. We've told her what to do. Um, She doesn't execute on any of the consequences and she doesn't give any of the rewards. I think this image or this analogy works really well for Paul being an apostle and that essentially Paul is the babysitter he's the middleman he's, he's communicating the authority that he's received to the kids, us. Um, we notice in this passage that he is really adamant. the whole section, this whole passage is really about one thing. I want to prove to you people why you should listen to me, and his main point is that these words I communicated to you when I came to you at first, these words did not come from man, but they came from God, and that 's the ministry of an apostle, and we actually see this oh shoot, I wanted to put this up there. We actually see this in another instance with the word the de- the authoritative declaration of the apostle Peter when Jesus asks Peter who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus responds, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Peter makes this authoritative declaration about God that he did not come to on his own. He did not come to by the collaboration of the other disciples. You know, Jesus, we've huddled together and we've come to the agreement that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now what's, what's, what's Jesus says, you came to that agreement, not through flesh and blood, but because my father in heaven's revealed that to you. So that authority that you speak with, is not your own little conclusion as men and women, that authority you speak with is actually directly from my father in heaven that he gave to you. And there's so much overlap with Paul's story here. He set me apart from birth and he called me by his grace. And when it was time, he was pleased to reveal his son to me. All Paul is saying is that there is unique and authoritative ministry that that I have as an apostle. Listen and heed my words. God is the source of all special revelation. That's why we read for some of you that might have been um, like reading a foreign language from the Westminster Catechism, the Westminster Confession. Um, where why what do we think of God is the source of all authority? Not men, not Paul, but God. You know, he says in, in the opening of this whole letter, Paul an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So I became an apostle, not because a few good men thought it was a good idea, but because I met with Jesus the Christ. So when did this happen? Well, in Galatians or in 1 Corinthians 15, we, we saw so Jesus. Uh, died according to the scriptures, and he was raised according to the scriptures. And then it picks up in verse 6, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Which, by the way, this is a great witness to the authority of Jesus. Like, this verse is in there because people in Corinth doubted that Jesus really had raised. And so they're like, hey, he appeared to 500 people. Go talk to them. So he appeared to 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive, aka, go find them. And then he appeared to James, his brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called one, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, an apostle, and his grace toward me was not in vain. So I, Paul's saying, I became an apostle because I met face to face with the risen Christ. And all authority that I speak to you with is directly from him. And he goes to great lengths. To, show, to continue this point throughout this passage that we read. I'd have you know, brothers, it wasn't preached by me. It's not man's gospel. I didn't receive it from a man, nor was I taught it. I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, um, he, he wants us to know that, hey, after I met with Jesus on the road to Damascus and was healed from my blindness by Ananias, I actually went away by myself for three years to Arabia and back to Damascus. And I didn't talk to anybody. You know, you you Pharisees and you you Judaizers, you guys come to your, your agreements and your gospel through this collaboration of men. I was by myself. I only spoke to God. That's where my authority comes from. Paul is like the babysitter. He's not the parent. The parent called him into his house. He set them apart at birth, called them by grace, and told them what to say. And the parent's the one responsible for the rewards and the consequences. Paul's just delivering the message. And so why does this matter? And this matters tremendously, and I want to point to two reasons why, and then we'll be, we'll be finished. And this, this matters because it means that the comforts and the promises in Scripture are real. And they're really for you. And they're really true. And they've come from the the real God. You know, they're not just hypotheticals. It's not just like potentially he thinks well of you. You Later in this letter, Paul speaks to to weary sinners, confused, confused full of doubt. It's like, man, Paul, you came and you had this authority, but then he left and these people have brought this really disruptive false gospel. And like, I am confused. Man, does that speak to you? Like, I don't know what's true anymore. Like I'm kind of feel like I'm floating around. Like my friends say this and this they say this, and man, this says this. And I read, listen to this or heard that. Like I am confused. I'm full of doubt. I'm a weary sinner, struggling, feeling isolated, feeling rejected. And later on here, he says, Hey, hey, Christian, you know, you've been adopted by God and you are now a son and a daughter. You know, his heart, like mine to my children is connected to you. And he, and he says elsewhere, another one of his authoritative letters, that there's nothing child that you can do that separates you from the love of God in Christ. He goes on to say in chapter five of this letter, Hey, you who stumble around in this life and struggle with sin and walk through dryness and regret, hey, you are free in Christ Jesus. The shame and the condemnation that you hear in your head, that does not belong to you. You are free in Christ Jesus. Get up, pick up your mat, follow me. You are forgiven if paul was just a man declaring his opinion you you should literally hear that and say who cares but but paul was not just delivering an opinion paul was declaring the very words of god for you and for me so we get the promises of god we get the comforts of god but we can't have the comforts unless we also have the disruptions you know um, one of my, my regular prayers as I, as I pray to open up God's word is that God's authoritative word would comfort those who have entered into this place disrupted and would disrupt those who have entered in this place far too comfortable. And what I believe is that if God is the origin of our authority, his words have to rub against your desires and your thoughts. And if it doesn't, you're not reading it good enough. his words, to to believe that he is the authority means that his words will rub up and challenge and convict and disrupt what you've too comfortably thought for too long, that there are objective truths that shape our feelings, not the other way around. You know, contrary to popular opinion in 2022, our heart is not the origin of our authority. Our heart must not drive our life. In fact, the Bible says those who live that way are fools. You know, most people walk away from Christ, they walk away from the comfort and the disruption of God's love because of misplaced authority. They've looked to their own heart, they've looked to their own desires, and they've decided that that's what's most true, and that's what's most real and most beneficial. And that these desires then propel them to reject or at best be critical of any truth of God that rubs against it. So we define good as what our heart wants. That's what's good. If God doesn't define that as good, then we say, well, God must be wrong. Or we latch ourselves on to these anomaly critical, theologians whose whole goal is to tear down the history of the church because the history of the church is the wrong side of history we latch yourself onto those people those few people and then we walk away um, you know it's like this atheist I remember so pointedly I talked to um, a few years ago he said, "You know Caleb, most atheists are atheists because we're horny I was like, It's like, it doesn't get much more complex than that. Um, I want to do what I want with my body. And uh, as far as I know, uh, your God won't let me. I want to do what I want. My heart's the desire that I want to live by and and I want that to lead me. And anything that rubs or pushes against that will, I want to do away with that. Now I heard a story about Woody Allen, Um, used to be, I don't even know if he's alive anymore, but um, a famous actor and writer. Um, who had an affair with his adopted daughter. And he justified it by saying, my heart wants what it wants. What's the big deal? And if you actually believe that your heart is the epicenter of all authority, that freedom is really the ability to pursue everything that your heart wants without any restriction, then you cannot look at what Woody Allen did and and the many other heinous acts like his with any level of judgment. Because I would be certain that every, to, to take it to the extreme, I'd be certain to, 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 to say that every murderer, every rapist, every atrocious evil happens because those people want to do it. Their heart has led them to that. And we have a whole industry of enslaved sex workers today because people want it. We have people working underpaid or non-paid jobs across the world because Americans want more things. Your heart is not and cannot be the sense of your authority, because it is wicked. It's self-absorbed. You know, in much of cultural conversation today, this is the hill that I will die on. And this is also where we talk past one another. This is where there is massive disagreement with unbelievers. It is, what do you think of the human heart? Do you think, and when I say heart, you know, the Bible depicts the heart not just as the place of emotions, but also the place where we think and the place, the thing that drives us into our life, propels us into life. Do you think that the heart is good and has your best intentions in mind? Or do you think it is deceitful beyond all belief? Because I believe it's deceitful and will lead us astray. It is not a good source of authority. And so Paul is coming and he's challenging them and he's also challenging us in our context today of where do you place your authority? Listen to my words. They're directly from God. God is your origin of authority. He's the one who shapes and reshapes and sanctifies your heart. Will you let him speak into your desires? Will you let him challenge what rubs up against him? Um, You know, I love, this little sentence and just to think and and elaborate more um, on this, on this part to end the land, the plane, Paul went away for three years and was just with God. You know, I know in my own life when, when doubt and when, when struggle and, and um, my, my critical man, I found myself to be so critical and angry right now in my life. Um, I found myself to be really impatient and I know I find myself struggling to be a person of love and I know that in a sense that is so deeply rooted in the fact that I'm not spending my three years in Arabia. Um, I don't mean literally three years in Arabia. I'm not spending my time with God to hear and to read and to meditate and to pray and to read and to meditate and to pray and to talk. You know, I would be so hard pressed, I don't know about, about you, but when I have conversations with people who have walked away or people who are really struggling and I ask them, hey, how often are you in God's word? Oh, well, never. Well, you know, we, we go through through so much of our life and I just wanna to propose to you, I find it really hard to believe If you were to go spend time in god's word i know this sounds you know super cliche but it's okay i I want to tonight um if you go spend time you're like man man this this story is about a god who is both really big and powerful and also like really gentle and tender and like he came into this world and he sat with sinners and rejects and those who are lonely and he promises to like come back and make all things better and he like is here with us now and he's like you know, actually intervening in the Spirit brings comfort. Oh my gosh. Um, and like, this has been proved throughout all of history. Yeah, I don't know if I really want anything with that God. What I think instead is that we, we, don't, we don't walk away because we understand the authority and the beauty and the goodness of God. We walk away because we don't. We walk away because we, we've placed the authority here. And this has led us astray. So go spend your three years in Arabia like Paul. There's there's one place, that's why I chose this passage from John 6. I love this passage where the disciples hear this really hard teaching that Jesus has. And many disciples leave and Jesus turns to him and says, are you all going to leave too? And they say, hey, I've nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. Do you believe that? You know, in my mind, every heart has been affected by sin and will lead you astray, all but one, all but one heart. Let's listen to him and find a refuge in him and find life and his love for you and me. Let's pray and sing a final song. God, I do thank you that your word is not just an opinion. It's not a hypothetical but that your word brings comfort and disruption because you love us too much to keep us where we're at. You love us where we are and you lead us beyond that. That You've promised to make all things new. You've promised to bring redemption in our relationships and most importantly to bring redemption in this heart of mine. I need you. You have the words of eternal life. Nothing else satisfies. Even on my best day, it doesn't scratch the itch. Only you can. I pray for these brothers and sisters that they would be reminded and encouraged to come and spend time with you in worship and prayer, that this would be a community of people who love your word and look to it as their authority. Help us to that end, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, Let's stand and sing a final song. Yeah. Uh-huh.